All right, so last week, we saw where Paul is beginning a three-chapter-long uh, diatribe, essentially, on the topic of Christian freedom within the Corinthian church. We've seen a few other instances of, of this freedom popping up throughout the, the earlier chapters of this letter, um, but this time... The issue at hand that Paul is addressing is whether or not it was okay for Christians to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. That's what we talked about in chapter 8. The Corinthians had apparently made an argument to Paul in a letter to him that we don't have access to, but he's responding to that letter. And they declared, and I do mean declared, that it was fine for them to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols because those Corinthians had knowledge. And that knowledge was that the idols that the food had been sacrificed to were not real. They're not real gods. They have no power. Uh, And since they weren't real, then there couldn't be anything wrong with them eating that food because it wasn't a real sacrifice. And the knowledge that the Corinthians possessed about these idols, it made them confident that there wouldn't be anything wrong with eating this food. Uh, And Paul says, essentially, if this were only an intellectual argument or merely an argument from reason, Paul might have agreed with them. Because he doesn't disagree with their assessment. Right? The idols that were being worshipped through the sacrifice, they either didn't have power because they weren't real, or maybe there was some demonic connection to these sacrifices, but even then, they're not more powerful than God, and so there's no issue with eating the meat. Right? The problem here wasn't an intellectual issue, it was a heart issue. Right? There are real people who have been called by God out of the pagan sacrificial system that they're experiencing in this worship and they're struggling with the idea of eating the meat sacrificed to these idols and paul tells the corinthians it's better for them to refrain from acting on their christian liberty it's better for them to abstain from eating the meat than it is for them to act out their christian liberty and cause their brothers and sisters in christ to stumble The issue here isn't intellectual, it's an issue of love. Do you love people enough to keep them from stumbling? Do you love them enough to keep them from going down a path that God may have called them out of? Paul wants to know if the Corinthian church loves their brothers and sisters in Christ enough to put down their liberty. They're free to do it, absolutely. Paul agrees with them that they're free to do that, but are you willing to put down that freedom that you have to love someone well? Paul says, says it clearly that eating the meat isn't sin. Right? Eating it doesn't bring you closer to God. Not eating it doesn't earn you favor with God. And so if you can eat it in good conscience and not cause anyone else to stumble by eating it, then you're good. Eat it. It's not a big deal. But if your actions are bringing the people around you into temptation, if they're causing them to fall into sin because they were not strong enough to withstand the temptation, then you are sinning against them by leading them to that. And in sinning against them, you are also sinning against Christ. Paul says that he would give up meat altogether if it kept brothers and sisters from stumbling. Though he is free in Christ to do as he pleases in this situation, Paul says it is his pleasure to sacrifice his freedom for the betterment of those around him. He's willing to lay it all down. And in fact, if we look at Paul's ministry, we see that there really isn't much at all that Paul isn't willing to give up or willing to do for the sake of the gospel. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 3-10, through 10, Paul says this, We are not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry will not be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying yet see we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing yet possessing everything." Paul, throughout his ministry, took beatings numerous times. Paul was imprisoned numerous times. Paul was shipwrecked numerous times. Paul was stoned nearly to death. And when they drug him out of town, thinking that he was dead, after he woke up, he dusted himself off and walked back into the same town that just hit him with a bunch of rocks. Paul was willing to do whatever it took for people to hear the gospel, to endure whatever it took for people to hear the gospel. Paul experienced hunger. He experienced exhaustion. He experienced slander, dishonor over and over again throughout his entire ministry. He was willing to endure all of that just so that people would have the hope of salvation that never had it before. Paul was willing to endure all of that because he knew that the gospel was worth it. Paul did not seek the easy life. Paul did not seek his own good. He was not willing to rest easy in his Christian freedom and make the rest of his life all about him. He laid things down that were rightfully his for the sake of the gospel. And this morning we're going to see another example of that when Paul points out his willingness to work bivocationally in order to serve the Corinthian church. During his time in Corinth, Paul took no money from the believers there. If you remember, he, he spent about 18 months in Corinth working with these believers, and he took no money. In Acts 18, 1-4, we see that when Paul arrives in Corinth, he meets a couple named Aquila and Priscilla who were tent makers. And he stays with them and he works with them in making tents. And then it says that on every Sabbath he would go into the synagogue and he would try to persuade both the Jews and the Greeks to follow Christ. He would share the good news with them. And this is how Paul planted the Corinthian church. He worked as a tent maker during the day and in the evenings and on the weekends he worked to share the gospel with the people of Corinth. Paul's bringing this up to the Corinthian church at this time as an example of what it looks like to lay down their rights. What does it look like to lay down your rights for the well-being of others? What does it look like to lay down your rights for the well-being of the church? In our passage today, Paul adamantly argues that a minister of the gospel has the right to adequate compensations for his work in the gospel. What's weird, though, is in the second half of our passage today, he's going to adamantly refuse to get paid for his work in the gospel. The majority of what we read today is going to say 
there is rights among the ministers of the gospel to receive compensation, but I don't want it. Paul's going to do this through a barrage of rhetorical questions. In these 18 verses alone, Paul asks 15 rhetorical questions. You think he's trying to make a point? That was a rhetorical question. Yes, he is trying to make a point. We're going to see four of these rhetorical questions in verse 1 alone. Take a look at that with me. Verse 1, Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? And we've talked about this before. Paul's authority in Corinth has been challenged. We're going to see that a lot more in 2 Corinthians. He addresses that a lot more. But we, do have, we have seen in 1 Corinthians that there have been issues where Paul, his authority as an apostle, has been challenged. So here he points out his apostolic calling by Christ. And if anybody should have been aware of his apostolic calling, it should have been the Corinthians. He ministered to them. He's the one that brought the gospel to them. He showed signs and wonders to them as proof that the Holy Spirit resided in him and that what he was proclaiming to them was true. They would have experienced all of that. We see Paul called into apostolic ministry in, uh, by Jesus in Acts chapter 9 where he was making his way to Damascus. He was going there to persecute Christians and a resurrected Jesus appears to him, blinds him, and calls him into his service. We see there that Paul was told by a man named Ananias that he would be God's chosen instrument to take Jesus' name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites and he was told that he would have to suffer much for the name of Christ. That was the beginning of his ministry. Paul was definitely an apostle. So those, though these are rhetorical questions, the answer to all of them is yes. Yes, he is free. Yes, he is an apostle. Yes, he has seen Jesus our Lord. And yes, the Corinthian church is his work in the Lord. Paul himself couldn't believe that he was an apostle. Paul was mortified by his history of persecuting the church. Something that he never got over. He calls himself the least of the apostles, but he was indeed an apostle. In verse 2, Paul says that the church in Corinth is proof of that. In verse 2, Paul says, If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So there might be people in Corinth even who don't actually know Paul. They might not understand his apostolic authority, and so therefore they may try to deny that, but he's saying that the Corinthian church should not be those people. They experienced his work with them. He, they knew how much he loved them. They saw what he could do through the power of the Holy Spirit. They were converted under his ministry. They knew that Christ had given them authority over the church. And people can deny that Paul's an apostle if they want to, but the Corinthian church knows better. And Paul reminds them of that. And then after this, Paul continues with his rhetorical questions in verses 3 to 7. He says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? 
through this line of questioning, Paul is getting to the idea that everyone who works expects that there will be compensation for their work. I seriously doubt that anyone, unless we were actively volunteering for something, no one here would go to work tomorrow and say, you don't have to pay me today, that's fine. I have no expectation of payment for the work that I'm doing. Unless we are volunteering, I don't think anyone of us is going to offer that to our, to our employers. Paul says if they are working, they have the right to food and drink. If they're working, they have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife and know that she will also be well cared for. If Paul and Barnabas are serving the church and the church can support them, then they shouldn't have to wonder where their next meal is coming from. Right? If they're serving the church and the church can support them, then they shouldn't have to worry about whether or not they'll be able to take care of their family. Now, we know that Paul wasn't married. We know his thoughts on getting married we, based on what we heard him say in chapter 7, but that's not the point here. The point is that he and, uh, should he and Barnabas have wives and should they want to bring them on their missionary journeys with them, they have the right to do so. So the Lord's brothers are doing it. Cephas is doing it. Other people are doing it. We have the right to do that as well. So why are you looking at us and declaring that we don't have that right? We don't have the right to be taken care of. So do they have the right to eat and drink? Yes. Do they have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles? Yes. And then he goes on to say that what, what I was talking about earlier, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? No one. No one's going to be like, I want to join the army and I'll pay for it all. Nobody's going to do that. Who's going to, be, who's going to plant a vineyard and then not eat its fruit? I'm going to do this and I'm just going to give all this away. I'm not going to keep anything for myself. No one would do that who shepherds a flock and doesn't drink the milk no one everyone has an expectation that they're going to get something out of the efforts that they're putting in and paul in this line of thought is essentially pointing out to the corinthian church that if you were in this position you would expect to be compensated for what you're doing as well and from here in verses 8 to 12 paul points to the law of god to help make his case he says there, am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope. And he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. So in these verses, Paul jumps back into the Old Testament, and the passage that he's quoting here is from Deuteronomy 25. It's verse 4. So the idea here was that when an ox is helping to mill grain, some people would put a muzzle over the ox's mouth so that it couldn't eat any of the grain that it was working on. And in doing that, it was denied any of the, the fruit of what it was doing. And God said that shouldn't be the case. If that animal is working for this, there should be some reward for the animal in that. So the ox should be able to eat some of the grain. So don't muzzle the ox that's working with it. God puts this in the law. And Paul here is using what theologians call a lesser to greater argument. 
He's not saying that this didn't actually apply to an ox. That's not what God meant with it in the beginning. What he's saying is, if God cares about an ox, don't you think that God would care about me more? If God cares about an ox, don't you think it stands to reason that a man who has been created in his image should not expect to get anything less than what the ox would get? There should be more. If God cares about the ox, he also cares about men. So everyone who plows, plows in hope that they will share in the harvest. Everyone who threshes, threshes in hopes of sharing the crop. We all can agree on that. Those who have put in the work should expect a return for their work. And Paul says in verse 11 that if he and Barnabas have sown spiritual things for them, is it too much to ask to receive material benefits back from their work? And again, the answer is no. It's not too much to ask. It's expected. It's what any of us would expect. In verse 12, Paul says that even though he had the right to be paid for his work with the Corinthian church, he didn't make use of that right because he didn't want to hinder the gospel. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into that in just a few minutes uh, because Paul continues on in verses 13 and 14 in making the case for why he should be allowed to receive compensation. Uh, So let's look at that. Verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Don't you know that those who perform the temple services eat the food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the offerings of the altar. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. So his last argument here for the reason why he should be compensated or people who are ministering to the church should be compensated, it comes from the uh, example of other religious duties even among other religions. I mentioned last week that when the the meat that was taken to to these temples to be sacrificed to the idols, it would go to one of three places. The first would be burned up as the sacrifice, as the offering. The second, a portion of it would be given to the priest that made the sacrifice. And the third bit of it would be sent home with those who were offering the sacrifice. And this, this also happened in the Jewish synagogues as well as people would bring in their offerings the the people that were offering these sacrifices got to keep some of the offering. That was their compensation. And so after laying out a comprehensive argument about why he had the right to be compensated, Paul then says, but I don't want to be compensated. I can be, I should be, but I'm going to refuse it. We see that in verses 18, or 15 to 18. He says, for my part, I have used none of those rights. Nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. Paul declares that he has these rights, that everyone who serves in the ministry has the right to compensation, has the right for their ministry to take care of the needs that they have, the needs of them and their family. But Paul was willing to lay down these rights because he didn't want anyone to think he was only doing it for the money. The Corinthian church was probably a wealthy group of people. As I said, 
all the problems that they're showing and that Paul is writing about comes from a group of people that don't really have a whole lot of problems. When you're persecuted, when you're worried about someone kicking the door in and hauling you out and beating you and killing you, you don't have a whole lot of time to worry about which teacher you like the most or which, what your sexual preference is or whether or not someone should be paid for their work or not. So obviously these people weren't exactly suffering for the case of Christ at this point. It was probably a wealthy church because it was in a wealthy city, a city that was central to a lot of commerce in that time. And so there would be, probably have been a lot of people that would have come through and they would have spoken in the, in the synagogue, they would have spoken in the, in the square, and they would have been paid for that. And Paul does not want to be associated with any of that. He doesn't want there to be any strings attached to his ministry or anyone to think that there are strings attached to his ministry. There are times in churches where people will make large donations, but there are strings attached to the donation. I will give you this money, but here are the expectations that come with that money. And Paul says, no, you, there will be no strings attached. I will take nothing from you so that you have nothing to accuse me of. Paul says that he was compelled to preach the gospel. That doesn't mean that he never took support. We see throughout his writings, we see in Acts, that there are other, play, other believers that will contribute to his ministry from time to time. He's not always bivocational, but he was bivocational here for the very uh, explicit purpose of not being under anyone else's thumb. He says, I, got, I have to preach the gospel. He says, I will die if I don't preach the gospel. My head might pop off. Like I'm just, it, that, the, the compulsion to do it would well up inside of me and I would just go crazy if I don't have the opportunity to tell people about the gospel. And yet, I will do absolutely nothing to hinder it. If that means that I have to put down meat forever, I will put down meat forever before I will let that hinder the message of the gospel, gospel to my brothers and sisters in Christ or to a lost and dying world that's struggling with what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. He says, I'll put it down. It's not that important to me. What's important to me is that people hear the good news. They hear the message. I will not take money from people who will put strings attached to it so that somebody might look at me and says, yeah, Paul, he, he, he gets after it, but he, he's only doing it for the money. Paul says, I won't take a dime from you. Yeah, Paul might do all this, but it's for the, the honor that he gets. As Paul gets drugged out of town and beaten and rocks thrown at him, and he gets, as he's going from place to place, ends up being shipwrecked and gets bitten by a snake. Yes, oh yeah, Paul's certainly doing this for the honor. He says, no, I'm doing this for Christ. I'm doing this because I was compelled to do it by, by the Lord, and there's nothing that I can do to stop it. I have to do it. And he loves doing it. He does it, he does it for the sake of bringing honor and glory to Christ. Paul was willing to sacrifice everything to get that message out there. He was willing to put down every right that he had in Christ to get the message out there. He sacrificed energy. He sacrificed time. He sacrificed rights just to remove any obstacles that might come up. 
He says, I can do all of this. He says, I, and I'm making the argument that shows I can do it, but I'm not making the argument for me. I just make the argument so that you know that there is rights, and I am showing you that it's okay to lay them down. In fact, there are times when we should lay down those rights. Do you guys feel the same way? Do you guys have a heart for the gospel, a heart for a lost and dying world that says, I will do whatever it takes to get this message out into the world? I'll lay down whatever right that I need to to get this message out into the world. I will sacrifice time, talent, and treasure to get this message out into the world. Do you feel that way? That's not a rhetorical question. That's a question that I want you guys to, to wrestle with. Do you have a compulsion, this, this indwelling desire placed there by the Holy Spirit in your life to share the good news with the lost? Do you have this compulsion within you to spend time with the people of God? We're called to be there for one another. We're called to support one another, to rejoice when we rejoice and to weep when we weep. We need each other. Do you have a compulsion for that or can you find any and every excuse not to be together? Do you share the gospel with people? I've got some rhetorical questions that I'm going to answer for you. Do you share the gospel with people? No, I don't know enough about the Bible. Well, we have a Bible study every Sunday night. You should come and learn more about the Bible. I'm really busy. I got things that I got to do. And do you pray with people? No, I'm not a good prayer. Well, guess what? We have a prayer meeting every single month here where we will teach you to pray. Because the only way to learn to pray is to pray. I got, sorry, I'm not going to make it. I'm busy. I've got other things to do. Do you have a compulsion for the gospel? Do you have a love for the church? Are you willing to lay down your rights for the benefit of others? Or are you constantly looking at what you can get out of the church and what the church can do for you or making excuses to not do the things that God has called us to do? I once made the statement that your ear canal should not be the place that the mission of God comes to die. We should not weekly hear the good news. We should not weekly hear that command to go and then to leave as soon as we walk out that door to have it dissipate into nothing and it, and it turns into nothing. And I'm not saying that it does. I'm just asking you, does it? Are you willing to move heaven and earth, whatever is necessary, so that the people that God has sovereignly placed around you, so that they can hear the gospel message from you, are you doing whatever it takes to get that message to them? Are you willing to lay down your rights? Are you willing to do what's difficult? Are you willing to take a few on the chin so that those around you know that you love them, but you love God even more? Paul says, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll lay it all down. Are we willing to do the same? Something to think about. Let's pray together.
Father, it's my desire that we, like Paul, would have an overwhelming compulsion to share the good news with people. That we would see opportunities, that we would take opportunities, and Lord, that we would do whatever is necessary to let a lost and dying world hear the good news. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to lay down our rights. That we would not be looking into our relationship with you solely on what's in it for us, but also what's in it uh, for your kingdom, what we can give to your kingdom. You have sovereignly placed people around us that need to hear the gospel. God, help us to see them. Help us to understand that they're one heartbeat away from separation from you forever. Lord, give us a love for this, this church, for this body. Give us an overwhelming compulsion to be together, to dive deeply into the Word together, to be in each other's lives, to pray together. Help us to get out of our own way. Can't do this without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord, and I pray that we would see that poured out here in this place today. Lord, I love you. It's in your Son's name that I pray. Amen.